God can do through our testimony, isn't it? That can make, um, make a difference. And we're here to share because we're in this world of pain and sickness and sin. And if we're not sharing what we've learned and what we came through, then how do we help others, right? Too often we come to church and we wear our masks I know this looks like, oops, sorry. You know what? I'm going to take that microphone. There we go. I wander around too much, so I better use this. But too often we wander around in church, coming to church wearing our ugly Christian masks. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, too. So we come to church wearing our masks, even though we come with pain, lots of pain sometimes, but we have no one we can talk to because everyone's wearing their Christian masks. Well, Don and I have removed our masks. We're done with them because they didn't help us. For too many years, we came to church and we wore our Christian mask and we were in pain. Our marriage was broken. It's time to remove our masks because they are from the devil. God wants us to be real people. How are we supposed to help our youth? How are we supposed to help our children when we are all perfect and holy and our children are struggling? How are we supposed to do that, people? We can't, can we? They have nowhere to go but to the world for people that understand how they are feeling because no one in the church understands and mom and dad don't understand. So that's why Don and I are here today to open up, to be real, to be raw. <laughs> Thank you. So um, let's pray. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to be used by you. It's not about me not about Don. It's all about glorifying you, Lord, through our sin and our sickness, sadness. Lord, use our words today to melt the hearts of your children. And this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In Psalms 115, verse 1, it says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Amen. I was raised in a wonderful Adventist home in Jackson, Michigan. Uh, my parents spoke to me about my purity um, briefly. <laughs> Because that's how parents do it, right? We don't really talk too much about sexuality. We can talk to them about Jesus, but mm, talking about sex to our kids is kind of uncomfortable. So we'll let someone else do that. So I really had no boundaries developed in my um, growing up years. Um, the only boundary I had um, was that I'm not going to have sex until I'm married, um, and that's the only thing that I stuck to. Um, I had no other boundaries. So 
Um, I was dating different different guys. I went to public school a couple years. Didn't like that because I just I had I had no um, strength to withhold from drinking and such. Um, but you know, I ended up going to Adelphian Academy my junior and senior year, and I absolutely loved Adelphian Academy. <laughs> and I found a really nice boyfriend there, a godly man. And um, I had forgotten for some reason to pray before I ate my meals. And so he taught me to pray again for my meals. I don't know why I lost that, but I was losing touch with God, obviously. So I really liked what he brought to our relationship. He brought God back into my life again. So we dated for two years at Adelphian. And when we graduated, I don't know, I just kind of like lost interest in him. And I have no reason to really say why. He was a really great guy. We were planning on getting married and everything. But I just kind of lost interest. He lived... Um, in a different city from me, and we were miles away. So I broke up with him, broke his heart. And um, so here I am, 20 years old. 20 years old, you guys. And I'm thinking, I am going to die an old maid. I am never going to find anyone because I'm 20. My life's almost over, and I'm not married yet. <laughs> That's all I wanted in life was to get married and have kids. I didn't care about a career. Um, I just wanted to get married and have children. That was my whole goal in life. So my, my dad, he said, Lisa, honey, don't worry about that. Someday the man of your dreams is going to come through the doors of this church. And you know what? He was right. The man of my dreams came through the, the doors of our church he was 13 years older than me, going through a divorce, and had three children. Don't you think my parents were excited? <laughs> and um, we went out on a date that night, um, and it was like love at first sight. We were just really um, happy with each other. I don't know what the word is, but um, I was just in love. And I soon found out that he wasn't even a Christian, that he wasn't going to church anymore. And I'm like, huh, okay. That was a red flag. Wouldn't you say that's a red flag? If I'm walking with God, looking for a, a man to marry, and he's not walking with God at all. I just brush that aside. Okay, I just, I need this man. That's all I know. All I need is him. So... Then I started getting this fear. It's like, you know, he's been married before. So he's already, like, you know, been experienced in a relationship and stuff. So, hmm, I better let down some of my morals, some of my standards, so I don't lose him. So that's what happened. I let all my morals go, and I plunged in deep. Because just two months into our relationship, I found myself in the doctor's office waiting for the results of my pregnancy test. How did I get myself here? Why do I find myself sitting all by myself in this doctor's office 
and seeing if I am pregnant. How could this happen to me? This kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. Why did God allow this to happen to me? Don't we want to blame God sometimes when we are the ones that go down into the pit by our own choice? So the doctor came in and said, yes, you are indeed pregnant. Well, what do you want to do? And see, Don and I had already decided that if I was pregnant, that we would abort this child. And then once we were married for two years, then we would have another child. And you know, that really just, it makes me sick to admit that to you. To make life so cheap. Abortion is not a form of birth control. That's right. So, do you think that the abortion fixed my problems? No. It magnified my problems. I had such guilt. I didn't want the abortion, but I hate saying Don, but <laughs> Don thought it would be best, and I was a people pleaser, and I wanted to please Don, so I, I went ahead with it. Um, so I had the abortion. I came out of the waiting room, came out into the waiting room right after the abortion, and I... Um, I knew that I needed to tuck those feelings down, way down. I needed to hide them because I didn't want people to know that the people that I were trying, was trying to please, I didn't want to hurt them. I didn't want them to know what pain I was going through because of what I just had done. So I tucked those feelings way down and wore my mask. That's where I started learning, to wear my mask. So that wasn't the only thing. Well, okay, so we had the abortion, and then Don and I were married like four months later. We only dated for six months, and then we were married. I wouldn't recommend that, <laughs> especially when there's red flags. Um, but yeah, we dated six months, and then we were married. And I carried this chip on my shoulder towards Don because I just aborted my child. All I wanted was to get married. Now I'm married, and I don't have the, my child. Um, there's a big wound there. So that chip I carried along with me. But, you know, once we were married, Don changed. He seemed to um, no longer really need me intimately in, in a physical way. And um, I couldn't understand why. Like, I am the same person I was yesterday, but now you don't, you're not interested in me anymore? What did I do? Am I not attractive enough for you? I couldn't understand. I, I was looking at myself like something's wrong with me. And he would demean me. I would say something to him, and he would, like, put it right back out at me. Like, no, it's your fault you know, or whatever the thing is. I just couldn't even talk to my husband because it always came back at me. 
So here I am, I'm wounded from my abortion, and now I'm being wounded from my husband and my marriage. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. After two years, just like Don had said, he kept his promise, and we did have a child. And his name is Justin Michael, and he's now 31 years old. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you, when I was pregnant, I had, I had nightmares. I had a nightmare that when my child came out, he was holding a limb from the, my first child and looking at me with disgust. So there was so much guilt that I was dealing with. But when I did have my child, and they laid that precious baby on my chest, and he was looking up at me with his squinty little eyes. He was so perfect. And I'm thinking, God, why would you give me another child after what I did to my first child? Your child. Why would you trust me with another child? You know, I heard it all my life about grace, but I never understood it until that moment. God's wonderful grace. And because of my husband's rejection and stuff of me, that child became the love of my life. So 14 years into our marriage, we're still struggling, still wearing our Christian mask, you know, at church, looking really good. 14 years into our marriage, I got to the point where I really wanted my husband to just die. I wanted him to die. I wanted him out of my life because of the pain that, we, that he was causing. So that wasn't happening. <laughs> so then the devil's like, hey, why don't you kill yourself? Oh, that's an idea. I toss that around in my head, and then I'm thinking, what am I thinking? Why would I kill myself? My child, our son, who was then, um, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old, he needed me. But I knew that I needed to talk to somebody. But who do you talk to about intimate things in your, in your family? You don't just go and talk to any about those, anybody about those things. So I found a wonderful pastor's wife. I think you all know her very well. <laughs> um, I talked to her up at camp at women's retreat and um, told her about what was going on in my, in my marriage. And she said, honey, your husband's addicted to pornography. I'm like, what? I had no idea. Can you believe 14 years into my marriage and I didn't understand that my husband was addicted to pornography? She's like, honey, you need to just separate with him right now. Just separate because he needs to get his act together with God and then you need to get your act together with God too where you're at in a very vulnerable state. So I'm like, okay, okay. And I remember I was out on the dock out of from Forest Lodge, you know, that, that dock out there. I was out there and I was crying and crying and crying and crying and crying until I thought I could not cry anymore.
I went home, sat my husband down, and I told him I want a divorce. Forget the separation thing. <laughs> I want a divorce. And my husband didn't act the way that I thought he would act, that I was told he would act. I was told that probably if you say that it's me or, or your sexual addiction, that he would choose the sexual addiction because sexual addiction can be that strong. But he didn't. He's like, don't leave me, help me. But I was so wounded for so long, I just couldn't see myself being his wife anymore. So he left the house. He'll tell his side here in just a minute. Um, very, very painful time in our life. Um, but one, one weekend, he brought our son back after having him for the weekend. And the words came out of my mouth, do you want to take a walk? And I'm thinking, why did I just say that? I have nothing to say to him. But I believe that God, because of intercessory prayer from my family and friends, used my mouth to speak like the donkey in the Bible. <laughs> and he said, yes, I do want to take a walk. I need to back up to what? Oh. Oh, yeah, I did forget an important part here. Okay, so I wanted the key. I didn't feel like I still had the key to divorce him, okay? So I went to a pastor and told the pastor my story, and he's like, okay, Lisa, I hear your story. I want you to go home, and I want you to pray that God will change his, Don's heart, and then I want you to pray that God will change your heart. I'm like, okay, I can go through those things. So I went home that night, and I prayed, God, please change Don's heart. And God, please change Don's heart. I couldn't ask God to change my heart because I knew what God wanted. My husband wanted help, and I knew that God wanted me back in that marriage. But I had my plan, and I didn't trust God. I wasn't using, I wasn't doing what I should have done in trusting God before. I wasn't down on my knees. I wasn't reading from his word. So I, all summer long, I prayed that prayer that God would change Don's heart. So it comes here when Don brings our son, and we're going for this walk around the neighborhood now. And Don is sharing all the things that God has been showing him through the, through the summer and he said, Lisa, I heard this lady talking on the radio about her abortion experience, and he was crying. He's like, I am so sorry that I put you through that all by yourself. He said, we need to have a memorial for our child. And I'm like, no, I took care of that all by myself. I did not want him in. I did not want him to be involved in my life anymore. I've taken care of that all by myself. So he kept sharing more about other aspects of his life that God had been revealing to him and, and changing. But the last thing that he said on that walk is what got to me. He said, Lisa, even if we don't get back together, don't lose your walk with God. 
So that night, got down on my knees, and I prayed, God, please change Don's heart. And I had to stop because I was thinking of all the things he was sharing with me on the walk and how God was changing his heart. And then I said, God, please change my heart too. It was scary to say that because we think that we've got control of our lives, don't we? We think we can do it by ourselves. But if we give it to God, then oh, everything's going to be just, just go terrible. It doesn't, though. It was such a relief. It was scary, but it was also such a relief that I could be walking with God again. So within 24 hours of that prayer, my heart was changed. It is a total miracle from God. I put on a pretty dress, and I went to Don's work, and I told him that I want you to come back home. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to make this marriage work. And then it was perfect from there on out. The end. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But, you know, God puts us on a journey. And when we invite him in that journey, that's when it's awesome. So God is walking with us day by day. And he's still walking with us day by day. As we're on our knees and we're reading from his word, he is healing us. He's healing us from within, and we are stronger and stronger each day. And I am so blessed to have such a wonderful husband. I love him with all of my heart, and I just praise God for getting through this old donkey. <laughs> all right, Don's going to share his side. Thank you. Good morning, church family. She always gets me teary-eyed. Then I can't see my words or have to sit up here sniffling. <clears throat> it's amazing, isn't he? Amen. Miracle worker. He's a God of recreation. And as you've heard, it's, it's not a pretty story, but it is all about him. Can we bow our heads again? Father in heaven, as I speak your words this morning, I pray that I will not be seen, but you will be seen, that you will be glorified, that you will draw us to the foot of the cross, and we will be willing to give all to you today. In Jesus' name. Well, I was born over by Detroit. My dad was an auto worker. I had two older siblings already. And as a young family, my dad was working hard to try to care for us, and that's when dad got a call from God, I want you to be a minister. And so dad packed us up, and we moved over to Emmanuel Missionary College, at the time, which is now Andrews University, 
And dad started school to become a preacher. It wasn't long after dad got out of school and we were at a church over in Jackson, Michigan, where Lisa grew up. <laughs> Amazingly, the same church. We didn't bump shoulders then because I was only about two or three and Lisa wasn't born yet. So. <laughs> so that's where our story didn't start together yet. But it didn't take me long to realize what it was to be a PK, a preacher's kid. You had to sit right up, right up here, and you always had to be really good and not cut up. And my brother and I were pretty good at that. He was just a year and a half older than me. And it wasn't an easy life because back in those days they would move a preacher every one to two years. And so I had to find new friends in school when I got into school every year or two. And in 12 years of school, I went to eight different schools. That makes a young man that's not outgoing already to be quite an introvert. I became the class clown many times because I could get attention that way and get everybody to laugh and get to know Don the clown. But you know, friends, young people, when you are born, Satan takes note. Jesus takes note and supplies you with an angel by your side. Satan says, here's one I want you, whatever his imp's name is, take this one under your shoulder. I want you to come up with a plan and devise it, and I want it to work on this one. So I was starting to be set up right from a very young age, staying to myself, having an older brother and sister that many times would pick on me until I just was in tears. And then a, a catastrophic event happened in my life. When I was six years old, my mom had a baby. And for a six-year-old, that was a catastrophic event because all of a sudden, Don went from being the baby to nobody, the man in the middle. Mama's attention is all on the baby. Brother and sister get to still pick on Don. And Don goes further inside. Satan's plan during that time in my, when I reached my early teens was to introduce me to something that Don could feel good about himself instead of having to have other people help him, and that was pornography. And as I grew up and started, when I was, felt bad, someone talked bad to me, someone shunned me, Don could take care of himself. I became a workaholic. I became a perfectionist. I became, I can do it myself. God's plan for us. In my senior year, I went all the way from California to Maryland for one year of school, starting over at a whole new school clear across the country for your senior year. 
So I didn't have any friends, and not too far into the year, I, I met a girl that was a couple grades behind me, and we got to be those kind of friends that you can talk for hours and hours, and we didn't date each other, but we could just talk about things. Actually, through that year, I dated most of her friends at one point or another. By the end of the, the year when I graduated and uh, we spent time together that summer and she had other intents. I didn't look at her as a girlfriend, but she was looking at Don as a boyfriend. And, and we got ourselves into sexual issues that we shouldn't have. I decided I was going to go away to school, and I broke off my relationship with her and left. And you know what? Satan is an expert at guilt. He knows guilt. Why? Because he is the master of it. He's had to live with it all his life since he rebelled against God, and he knows how excellent it works on us. And I'm away at school, and he keeps saying to me, you know, you need to do the right thing. You need to go back and marry her. Friends, we need to understand that two wrongs don't make a right. We need to understand our Scripture today. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And I like this next one. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Young people, listen to those words. Be not wise in your own eyes. Listen to good counsel. Listen to the counsel that God gives us in his word. Oh, if I had done that then, it would have saved me so much pain. But no, I quit school and I went home and asked her to marry me and we got married. We had three children. Life is good. Except I walked away from God. And my life became looking for a bigger house, a bigger car. As I look back, I have to laugh at myself because I remember the time that I thought if I could have a limousine sitting in my driveway, I would have arrived. I saw one not too long ago for sale for like $3,000 and I just laughed. Like, how ridiculous is that? But Satan feeds us these things that I have all these things for you. He did that to Jesus, remember? I have the whole world I'll give you if you'll worship me. So I walked away from God. And as I did, my children suffered. My marriage was already suffering. Because I had something in my life that was more important to me than anybody else, than any other relationship something that I could take care of Don with. And it makes a person very selfish. 
The love of my life was my three children. I would get home from work and play with them in the yard until dark to take them in, put them to bed. And one day, the news came. She says, I'm going to divorce you. And it didn't surprise me, even though it was a shocking moment in my life to go through that process. No one wins. The children lose totally. So I'm going through the divorce, and she moved clear out of state and took the love of my life hundreds of miles away so I couldn't even see them because I couldn't afford to. My heart is breaking. I start going from work with the guys, and I hadn't even drank in my life before this point. And I start going right to the bar with the guys from work, and I would drink, and then I'd get home some way. I didn't even know how, but my car would be out front, and I'd get up in the morning and go to work, and that became my life. And that's when I went to Jackson, Michigan, to visit my cousin, because I was going to leave state, and I was going out west and start my life over. And they start begging me to go to church. I hadn't been in a church in five years. And I wasn't about to go to church then. I had no use for God. I blamed God for everything that happened in my life. You know, we can do all these things and mess up. And then we say, what would you do that to me for? Because we're wise in our own eyes. And not listening to him. They finally talked me into going to church that Sabbath morning. When Don walked through the doors of the church, not a Christian. One of our first dates, our first date was that night. My cousin asked her to go on a date, a double date with them. And I liked her. I said, yeah, that, that'd be great. And I realized on that first date... I knew that Lisa was the other half of my heart. That if God would pick someone, even though I didn't believe in him, that, he, that she would be the other half. I could tell that we've, we talked together. We've, I knew that something was happening here. My cousin and, and his wife said, finally poked us, hey, you know, you, we're here too, you guys, because we're just talking to each other. So after that date, I knew that I was already had quit my job. I was planning to move out west, and I knew that I had to stall that process and see if this person was someone for me. I have no doubt in my mind that God put me there to meet her. But I know that he didn't want her to walk the way she walked to capture me. But God is amazing. He is totally amazing. One of the first dates I told her, I said, I've, I knew she was an Avis. I said, I've been there, I've done that, and I won't ever do that again. I was a PK. Not going back to that. As we got married, 
And remember, I'm still have another love of my life in my life. And you know, we like to have these things in our life that no one else knows about. But we have this suitcase that we carry with us that weighs us down, but yet we're trying to wear the mask and look good at the same time, but we're carrying this heavy suitcase that no one else can know about. One year into our marriage, Lisa was working at a nursing home, and she'd get only one weekend a month off. And I want to be with her. I, I love her. I want to be with her. And the one weekend that she has off, she wants to go to church on Saturday morning. Like, are you crazy? This is a day that we can spend together. She said, I'm going to church. I'm going to Sabbath school. All right, I'll go with you just to be with you. And the rebellious PK would sit in Sabbath school and answer all the questions because he knew them all. But wasn't connected to God in any way. One Sabbath, they had had an evangelistic series at our church. And it was the last Sabbath, the last meeting. And we were there at that meeting, that church service. And we were sitting right about back there. Didn't hear one word of that sermon that day. Didn't care. And as I sat there, and he got to the end, started to play us a song that went back to my childhood just as I am. And the Holy Spirit said, Don, I will take you just as you are. You don't have to do anything. Just come to me now. He says, come. And I had to stand and walk down that aisle and give my heart to Jesus. One year into our marriage, I had a problem. I still had a suitcase. I wanted him in my life again. And I started that walk And we'd go to church every week that she could. (laughs) And she got a different job soon after, praise God. And Don started to wear a mask even more at church. And you see, we can wear this mask, and yet I'm wearing a mask, I'm carrying this heavy suitcase, and they asked me to be an elder, and I become an elder in the church, and I'm still carrying all this stuff. It's not how Jesus wants it for us. Fourteen years into our marriage, and she tells me it's over. 
I had promised her from the beginning, don't ever leave me because I knew about the baggage. She didn't. Don't ever leave me. And now she just told me it's over. I'm going to divorce you. That night was the darkest night of my life. See, the first divorce, I wasn't in love with her. But this woman was the other half of my heart. She might as well have taken a knife instead of telling me that and just put it in my heart. As I walked away from the home that night, about a mile away, I found myself on the edge of a bridge. I can't go on without her. She is the other half of my heart. If she doesn't love me, no one does. And there's no reason to continue on. As I'm standing there processing this in my mind, that still small voice again. Don, I love you. I love you. I will take your hand. I will carry you. I will walk with you through this. I can't, Lord. I can't go on without her. You can, Don, if you hold my hand. Take my hand. That night was a change in Don's life like never before. I gave it to him and said, okay. And as I walked away from that bridge, I noticed it was warmer outside. It was, it was going to be okay. I didn't know how, but I knew it was going to be okay. And as I started spending time, I moved out, and I would spend the evening on my knees, and I would, I would say, Lord, show me who I am. Don't pray that prayer unless you want to know. Because he would show me the pain that I had caused her. How ruthless I had been, how selfish I had been, how abusive I had been, and I would weep on my knees and ask him, make this guy into a new guy. I don't want to be that guy anymore. And as time passed, friends, as I grew closer and closer to Jesus through that process, the suitcase got lighter. Both can't be in your life. If you have a true walk with Jesus, one or the other has to go. And he started removing it from my life as I would get drawn closer and closer to him. Praise God for intercessory prayer. Lisa and I were wearing the masks so well that 
when we put out the word we were getting a divorce, our church was in shock. They are the ultimate perfect couple in the church. We're wearing the mask really well. And they start praying for us. Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart in a moment like he did with me in that like he did with me on that bridge and like he did with Lisa in that moment when she said, change my heart. He says, I will give you a new heart of flesh and I will remove that stony heart. What a God. I don't deserve such an awesome woman. But God is amazing. Whenever we turn to him, he has so much better things for us than we ever even imagined for ourselves. That's who he is. He's not a selfish God. He wants the best for us. And he has given me the most awesome spiritual wife that I could ever ask for. But I want to share something with you, friends. You see, the problem with my life up to that moment was that I was focused on my life. I was focused on what I can get, what I can enjoy for the short time that I have. God doesn't want us to focus on that. I want to share an illustration with you. I want you to imagine that this rope has no end. Goes out the church, goes around the parking lot, heads clear down to southwest Michigan where I live, keeps on going. Heads on up to the moon and keeps on going. There's no end to this rope. But this little piece right here on the end, the little red part you can see, that represents yours and my lifetime on earth, right there. That's you and me on earth. Some people, that's only a few years. Some people, that's only 20. Some people, that's 100. For Adam, it was 900 in some years. But that is our time on earth. And so we start our lives out, and as I talk to you about my life, having trouble in school, and then getting married, and then, then your dreams of buying a house, and then putting the kids in college, you're coming on up the rope, and then if you're going to get the kids' college paid off, then you can maybe get the house paid off, and you get all the way down here to the last little bit of your rope on this earth, and retirement. Oh, if I can just make it to there, then I'm going to have this short period of time that I can really enjoy life. That's our focus. Our focus is in the wrong place. It shouldn't be on this life at all. It should be on our Savior. He's done for us because, kids, He has got so much for us ahead that is incredible. We can't according to God's word, can't even imagine it. And so I like to imagine sometimes. I'm going to just spend a few more moments with you 
And remember, that's my lifetime right there. But down that rope about a thousand years, I'm coming back with Jesus in the holy city hanging over the edge of the wall as it descends towards the earth. Looks pretty desolate down there and pretty nasty. But as the city sets down and the plain levels out, a city that's 375 miles square and 375 miles high, that goes up above all of our satellites and even the moon. I don't know how God does that. It seems like the earth would go beep, setting that city on there. But he's God, <laughs> right? The city sets down, and then the final judgment takes place. Hmm. We want to be inside the city. And then he creates before our very eyes. Even Adam didn't get to see the creation happen. We are standing beside Adam and Eve on the wall as we watch God speak. Wow, it's incredible. So he forms this new planet for our home. And you know what's even more incredible than that? His throne is in that city. He has said, I am going to make this home now because you are my children and I want to live with you. I don't deserve that, do you? With all my screw-ups in life, I don't deserve that. But Jesus said, my blood is sufficient for you. We get into our new earth, and you're going to find Don by water because I love oceans, and I'm going to have a fish tank so big that the whales swim in to my house, and I feed them, and they swim back out. We're going to have a, a home in that city, but according to God's Word, we're going to build our own as well. Wow. You know... Going down a few more thousand years, I've got this awesome place. And my best partner is with me. And we just keep going down through eternity thousands of years. And you know, one of my favorite Bible characters is Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not. One day as Enoch, he would go to the city and he would minister to the people and then he would take some home with him, it says, and he'd take them back to his house and he'd teach them about God and then he'd go back to the city. And one of these days as he's walking to the city and he's walking with God, Jesus says, hey, Enoch, we're closer to my house. Let's go home to my place today. That's the kind of relationship I want with him. That he just says, let's go home. So a few thousand years down the road, 
I hear a knock on the door. Well, I probably don't have a door on my house. But Enoch shows up. He says, Don, yeah. He says, Jesus wants you and I to go to that planet that is several billion light years out and share our testimony. And this is on Friday afternoon. I said, when? He says, tomorrow. He wants us to share it tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, let's go. Honey, I'll be back. I'm going with Enoch. Beyond light speed, we arrive at that planet in time for Sabbath, sunset worship. And on Sabbath morning, as Enoch and I are holding the Sabbath services and talking about our amazing Savior, we feel these two big arms come around us and hug us. And we look, it's Jesus. He says, these are my guys. They're my children. I love them. Our minds cannot imagine what he has in store for us. Can't even go there. You see, where's that little piece of the rope? That red part, then, doesn't matter. It's no count. And it should be no count to us today because our eyes should be fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who holds our reward in his hand and wants to give it to us. What's holding you back, friends, today? What is in your suitcase that you need to let Jesus have? Is that is more important than what I just described? It seems pretty small on planet Earth, doesn't it? Because he is an infinite God, and he has infinite things for us ahead. I encourage you to seek him with all your heart. Seek him in his word. He's there, ready to pick you up out of the puddle, to hug you, and to walk with you.